You may be seated. Well, as we uh, continue this morning uh, with the book of Romans, as has been mentioned already several times, uh, no surprise to you, but as you know, at the, at the very heart of Romans, at the, at the very heart of this letter, is the gospel. That, that's really what it is all about, even as Peter prayed that we would hear that proclaimed in these weeks and months ahead. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul, a man whose life was transformed by the gospel, whose life work became spreading the gospel. And so, no surprise that the very start of the letter would be all about the gospel. Now, before we get back into this first part of of Paul's letter, it is important to once again make that important distinction that we have made in the past, last week, we'll continue to do uh, in the future as well, and it is this, because it's very important for us to understand that the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's good news, not good advice. Now, good advice is not bad. That would be bad advice. Good advice is is good. But it is about something that you do or something that you don't do. Whereas good news is news. It is about something that has already been done. Something that has already been accomplished. Something that has already been finished and is now declared and calls for a response. And as we saw in last week's passage, uh, the gospel's content is God's Son. The gospel centers on Jesus. It's about a person, not a concept. It's about Him, not us. And and you see, we'll we'll never really begin to to understand, to, to comprehend, to embrace the gospel until we realize that it is fundamentally a message about Jesus, not fundamentally a message about us, about our hopes, our dreams, our lives. Now, it does speak into those things. It does bring change into those things, but it is primarily about God's Son, Jesus. Simply put, the gospel is about a king and his kingdom. The gospel is the good news of God's salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ in love for us. Let me say that again. The, The gospel is the good news of God's salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ in love for us. And as we're going to see throughout the book of Romans, uh, the gospel is, is very rich and full. It is multifaceted. We'll see that it is good news that, that in it, I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. I have been saved. I have been justified. I have been adopted, brought into God's family. I am being saved. I am being sanctified. God's Spirit is at work in me, transforming me, changing me more into the likeness of Jesus. And I will be saved. 
through God's preserving grace, He will carry me to the very end, to persevere, to be raised with Him, to be glorified with Him. So it is great news about a king and his kingdom. And so then with that news, how are we going to respond to it? Or think about even just your day-to-day. What motivates you? What moves you? What challenges and even empowers you? Is it ultimately this good news? Well, it is for Paul, and that's his desire for those in Rome and for us too. And so he writes this letter, and we continue this morning with the introduction of the letter, uh, specifically uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Though I'll begin the reading in just a moment with verse 7. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you're going to find that on page 939. But let's pray before we hear God's Word. Well, Almighty God, uh, we do come before you. You who spoke all things into existence. And we thank you for speaking to us today through your Word. And so we pray now, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to believe, and our mouths to proclaim the good news of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, hear the word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that together we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is God's Word. So if the first seven verses are about Paul's life work, the gospel, and if the following two verses, which we're going to take a look at next week, if that's Paul's thesis statement, then these verses here, uh, this this day, verses 8 to 15, then these verses are about Paul's goal. 
Paul's goal to preach the gospel. Verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Eager to preach the gospel. Well, a couple of things that we see about this goal is that it's relational and it's proclamational. Okay, it's relational and it's proclamational. So first, Paul's goal to preach the gospel is relational. And I mean, man, that is so clear from the start. We hear it in these very first verses of our passage. Paul writes with great affection, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last, that finally, finally I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. We hear Paul's affection for, his commitment to, his desire to see these Roman brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to be with them. To see them face to face, not just hear about it, but to be there in their midst. Because remember, Paul has never been to this church. Now, it's, it's very clear here, he has definitely heard about them. And he's been praying for them, particularly that he might visit them in person. And why? Verse 11, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. See, Paul wants to use his abilities, his abilities of, of preaching and pastoring to build up the Roman Christians in their faith. But that's not all. There's more. Because Paul then clarifies this desire, saying, verse 12, that together we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That you and I might be mutually encouraged together. Paul, Paul doesn't want to, to merely encourage them only. He also wants to be encouraged by them. It's not as if the great apostle has everything to give and nothing to receive. He knows the mutual blessing available through the body of Christ, through brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so what we see is that Paul is expressing a posture of humility and teachability, a, a, a posture of mutuality, recognizing that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and that we can all bless one another. Now when I think of mutual encouragement, I can't help but think of my seminary experience. I mean, there were, there were a lot of well-learned super-apostles, so to speak, like a J.I. Packer and a Eugene Peterson. And there were, of course, plenty of us needing to learn students. But what strikes me is that it was always a learning community of mutual encouragement, where all of us, professors and students alike, were treated as brothers and sisters in Christ on the journey of faith together. I mean, yes, there were leaders that we followed as a gift from God that he has given to us. But we also saw each other face to face. We, we walked together side by side. 
So for example, I remember uh, one day in a class with, uh, with Dr. Rick Watts. It was a New Testament exegesis class. We were uh, looking at the book of Galatians. Now I remember sitting on the front row, uh, one of the, the students, he raised his hand and he said something, asked a question. Dr. Watts, Dr. Watts, could, could you help me understand what Paul is getting at in, in, in these verses here? And what stands out to me is that, that Dr. Watts first addressed him by name and then he said something like this. He said, before I answer your question, I'd like to ask, I'd like to ask that you call me Rick. I mean, yes, I've, I've got a Ph.D. in New Testament. I'm, I'm, I'm much older. I've got more experience. And I sincerely do uh, appreciate the, the show of respect in calling me doctor. But I'm also a fellow Christian on the journey, one who still struggles with sin, one who still has a lot to learn. And so it would encourage me greatly in the gospel if you would simply call me Rick. Because you see, I will teach you, but you'll also teach me. And together we'll grow through God's word. And so to echo Paul, Rick was saying, we will be able to mutually encourage one another. By each other's faith, both yours and mine. Well, in short, as one commentator puts it, Verse 11, it teaches us to use whatever gifts the Lord has given us to make others stronger in their faith. And then verse 12 teaches us to allow others to use the gifts and faith that God has given them to build us up. That's why it's so very important to regularly be in fellowship, to spend time with other believers. And not only that, but to do so, to relate to one another in a posture of humility and teachability so that together we may share in the gift of mutual encouragement. And so first, we see that Paul's goal to preach the gospel is relation. Well, second, Paul's goal to preach the gospel is proclamational. It's proclamational. Sound redundant? Yeah, that's on purpose. Uh, because it's actually a helpful corrective. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But, but for now, the question is this. To whom does Paul want to preach the gospel? And so let's take a look again. Uh, verses 13 to 15. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. Because I, I want to make clear that Paul is speaking to everyone in the church. The Greek word here, translated brothers, it's plurals, refers to siblings in a family. Here, referring to brothers and sisters in God's family. You likely have a footnote about that in your Bible. And so we should read it as brothers and sisters. And then just another uh, quick note at the very end of the passage... You'll see that I already made the switch, but the word barbarian simply means non-Greek. had a different sense for them uh, back then than it would for us today. So, with that, again, Paul writes, verse 13, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you. 
but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, just as I have among the other Gentiles elsewhere. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul says that he hopes to reap a spiritual harvest. A spiritual harvest among all the various Gentiles there, just as he has already been doing among Gentiles elsewhere. He desires to see spiritual fruit, the spiritual fruit of new life in in Jesus and of growth in the grace of Jesus. Paul, Paul desires to see this fruit harvested among those within the Roman church as well as those outside the Roman church. Now, not surprisingly, Paul wants to evangelize those outside the church. If you've read enough of Paul or been around the church long enough, you know that Paul is a church planter. He is is an evangelist. He is passionate about and loves to share about Jesus with those who do not yet believe in him. And he wants the gospel to spread throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. But he also wants to see the gospel go deeper into the lives of believers. He wants to evangelize those inside the church as well. Paul writes, again, verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to, literally evangelize, you who are in Rome. And who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. Pastor Milton Vincent explains... The New Testament teaches that Christians ought to hear the gospel as much as non-Christians do. In fact, in the first chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells the believers in the church that he was eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Of course he was eager to preach the gospel to the non-Christians at Rome, yet he specifically states that he was eager to preach it to the believers as well. See, as another commentator puts it, everyone needs the gospel. Both the you inside the church and the you who are yet outside it. The gospel is the way people are called to faith and the way people grow in faith. It's the way people are called to faith and the way people grow in faith. In other words... The gospel is needed by all, all the time. We never, ever outgrow it. Okay, so back to that helpful corrective in stating what may sound redundant. That Paul's goal to preach the gospel is proclamational. So here's what I mean. Simply put, pastors preach... Congregants don't. Right? Wrong. Wrong. When we look at the larger context of the New Testament, we see that to preach has both a narrow sense and also a broader sense. For example, 
Uh, we can speak of worship in a narrow, more specific way, referring to a worship service, like what we are in right now. Maybe yesterday you were at Target, you saw somebody that you know that goes to church with you, and you said, hey, maybe tomorrow I'll see you in worship. So that's speaking of it in a, a narrow sense. But we can also speak of worship in a broader, more comprehensive way, to talk about all of life as worship about being at work, and play, about studying, whatever we're doing, that it would all be to the glory of God. And so it is with the call to preach. There's the narrow, more specific reference to what I'm doing right now, a pastor preaching from a pulpit. But then there's also the broader, more comprehensive meaning, which refers to all Christians proclaiming the gospel. And this proclaiming, it involves declaring and demonstrating. In other words, it's proclamation through both word and deed, two sides of the same coin, proclaiming with our lips and also with our lives. And in that way, we're all called to preach. We're all called to proclaim the gospel, declaring demonstrating the good news of Jesus. And again, we're all called to speak to Jesus, to speak of Jesus, to speak of Jesus to both those inside the church and those outside the church. For we all need the gospel all the time. Okay, so do you, do you remember show and tell as a kid? Raise your hand if you like show and tell. Okay. Everybody likes show and tell to some extent. You might not like going to the front of the class for show and tell, but you at least show and tell even at recess. And you know, I loved show and tell, and I wouldn't just do it at the front of the class, but I would do it at recess and throughout the day because it was the wonderful time when you got to, to talk about those neat things that you did or even show people those really cool things that you got. You know, you think of the start of school. That's always a great time. What did you do this past summer? Oh, wow, we went on this trip. We got to see this. Here's a souvenir that I got. Uh, maybe you did it after Christmas. Now, of course, that's the most competitive time of show and tell because everybody just got gifts. So maybe your birthday is a little bit better because it was just you that just had your birthday, uh, unless you're a twin or a triplet. But, you know, you go to your friends and you say, look at what I got. This is what I did. Now why? Why was show and tell so great? It's because joy is not complete until it's shared. Joy is not complete until it's shared. I mean, think about it. As an adult, even right now, if something great happens at work or school, if your team makes a great play or gets a big win, if you finally got what you had been longing to get, you don't keep it to yourself. You don't keep it bottled up inside. No, you share it. You share it with excitement. You share it with family and friends. You share the joy because it's incomplete otherwise. Well, brothers and sisters, the Christian life is adult show and tell. It's sharing the joy together 
It is giving and receiving the good news over and over and over. It is speaking of Jesus to everyone because everyone needs the gospel all the time. Well, later, Paul writes to his friend Philemon. And he writes, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Isn't that a great statement? I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You see, as we believe the gospel, we become more eager to share it. And also, as we share the gospel we become more convinced of it ourselves. Well, the greatest show and tell ever was God showing and telling His love for us in Jesus. Through His life, death, resurrection. And this morning, we get a picture of that great love. The gospel on display here at this table, the Lord's table. The gift that Jesus has given to His church that we might taste and see. A gift that Jesus has given to those who have looked to Him for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. That is who this table is for. The Lord's Supper is God show and tell to us that we might come to Him and be strengthened by His grace. For God was eager to preach the gospel to us. And He invites us to share in that same joy with Him. God was eager to preach the gospel to us.